fired, and here, ahead of them, was the place. Three stout timbers charred, a gap through which, lifting their snow and mud-clogged skirts, two women could pass and step into what had been, until Monday, Eitel's private domain. To their left, the barn. The high doors closed and the bar dropped. Madeline had never seen it so. Who would steal from Eitel? And nobody about, nobody moving or busy at this hour, which should have been, in the Rinland always had been, the busiest hour of the winter days. She had planned the time of her arrival carefully. In the Rinland, from March to September, people ate at midday and at dusk. From September to March, they worked on what was called the one team, or the one plough system, missing the midday meal and making supper, served early, do for both. This was the hour when men, coming in from the fields, would be feeding pigs, milking cows, penning geese and hens against foxes, before going in to close doors and shutters, throw logs on the fire, rest, eat and go to bed. It was the hour, Madeline knew from a lifetime of experience, when men were most open to persuasion. But Bradwald, at this hour, on this day, seemed dead. Skirting the barn, they came to the byre, which was a clod building, thatched and with the thatch extended over a little forecourt in which cows could stand and be milked. And here, at least, someone lived and moved. There, tethered to one of the worn, shiny posts which upheld the thatch, was the red and white cow, which never would stand without being tied, but which gave the creamiest milk of all. And sitting on the three-legged stool, with his head pressed against the cow's flank and his fingers busy, squirting the milk rhythmically into the wooden bucket, was what? Eitel's cowherd for many years. A homely and reassuring sight. She was about to say his name, when, sensing the presence of someone behind him, what lifted and turned his head in a way that spoke of fear, the expectation of hurt. Madeline said, What? on an outgoing breath, and Hild made a mewing noise, buckled at the knees and fell sideways into the slushy mud churned up by the cow's feet. In the middle of the old man's forehead was a brand, a letter R, puffy and blackened at the edges, red and raw in the centre. My lady, Watt said, in a voice thin and high with alarm, we thought you safe, why you here, get gone, get gone. He rose from the stool, staggered and leaned against the cow's flank, moving his arms in a driving-off gesture. These are terrible men, devils, men shapes. Escape while you may. She tried not to look at the red weeping wound, but into Watt's eyes, though they, with their expression of fear and despair, were just as disturbing. On the rim of her mind a thought formed. That is the face of England. The near detachment did not mean lack of pity or concern. It was just that to people of Anglo-Danish blood, the fanciful, metaphorical phrase came naturally, and in her the tendency had been fostered by her stay in Winchester, where things that would have been offensive in plain speech could be said in stylized phrases and be acceptable. I had to come, she said. I could not leave my lord's body on the dunghill. Where a man's body lies does not matter, Watt said earnestly. 
It is how he lived and how he died that is reckoned. They will not listen to you. They would not listen to Christ himself. I beg you, go while you can. Get back to Wick and pray. Pray that death delivers us soon. Because the temptation to flee was sharp, she spoke more sturdily. It will heal what? You are alive. How many more? All who did not die with my lord. There was no killing after. The men are in the barn. And the women? Unharmed, huddled in two houses. But you... It could be different for you. Suppose they... He moved his hand a little, indicating the brand. Did this to you? In her mind she felt the terror of being held down by rough hands, the heat of the iron approaching, the bite of it meeting flesh. What does it mean? That we're his cattle, his slaves. What does the shape mean?